We're going to jump into the Word in Daniel chapter 9. We have a lot to cover today. I appreciate Andrew helping me out last week and did a marvelous job talking about the kingdom of heaven. Um, I want to talk to you about the final events of the world. And so I'm going to uh, begin in Daniel 9 because Daniel gives what is, um, every prophecy is remarkable. But this is truly one of the most remarkable prophecies in the Bible. And we're going to take look at it for just a moment and then we're going to look at some other things. And we'll, we'll come back to this over the next few weeks. But I'm going to list to you, I'm going to make a list right now. And if you want to jot this down in your notes, you can. But these are the final events of the world. And I'm going to just list them out to you. The rapture of the church. The tribulation period. The millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. The battle of Gog and Magog. The great white throne judgment. And then the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal kingdom. Those are the next events towards in this world that we are moving towards. And we're going to talk about those events in the next few weeks as we unload all of this. Obviously, today, we are not going to get into all of that. But what we are going to talk about to begin is in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. And I'm sorry, verse 24. And he says this in his, in his prophecies. And this is being told to him. Seventy weeks are determined upon your people. And upon your holy city. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. This is going to be done. All of this is going to be done in the appointed 70 weeks. Know therefore and understand. And so we have to, we, we have to rightly divide the word of God, the word of truth. And so we are giving instruction right now in verse 25 that, that we need to be careful. There's something we need to know. There's something we need to understand. It's not necessarily, you know, just self-evident. But he's going to explain it to us. So he says in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. And three score and two weeks, which is a total of 69 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And after three score, two weeks, which is 69 weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. And that means to be rejected, not accepted, but rejected. But not for himself. He is, he's he's going to go through something that is, is, it's not for him. And we understand through the Messiah that he was cut off and he did die for us, right? So Daniel's giving this prophecy. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is so important. 
If you want to know and understand, you must be very careful to listen to verse 26. Because Daniel is telling you, listen, there are going to be 69 weeks that follow each other. There's going to be a break between the 69th week and the fulfillment of the 70th week. Between the 69 weeks and the 70th week, there is something that must occur. And he's telling us what has to occur. The Messiah has to be rejected. He has to be cut off. There is a people coming. This people will represent the people of the prince. The prince is in reference to the coming Antichrist that will come. The Antichrist will not come at this time. But this will be his people that come to Jerusalem. And they will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So Daniel is giving us this prophecy that from the moment permission is given to rebuild Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem, there's going to be 69 weeks. Now, these are 69 weeks of years. So this would total, as, as we're looking at this, these 69 weeks of years would be 483 years. So when the commandment is given to rebuild Jerusalem... You will count 483 years and you will come to the Messiah and the cutting off of the rejection of the Messiah. That's what Daniel is teaching us. There is going to be an episode that happens after that week where the people of the Antichrist are going to come. And the people of the Antichrist are going to destroy the city. They're going to leave it in ruins. And so there's still a last week, a last seven years that must be fulfilled in order to complete the 490 prophesied years. And so going back to verse 26, and after the 69 weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but the prince that, that, that shall come shall destroy the city. That he prophesies in verse 25 that is going to be rebuilt. This city is going to be destroyed. And he says, and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he, speaking of the prince that's going to come... He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the last seven years, which completes the 70, those 70 weeks that are determined. This Antichrist will confirm the covenant for seven years. And in the midst of the week, in the midst of the seven years, which would be three and a half years, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation, which is the finishing of the 70 weeks, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And so when, when you look at Daniel's prophecy here in chapter 9, it is absolutely remarkable because Daniel is told that there are 70 weeks determined upon the nation of Israel. 
And you can read in verse 24 what the fulfillment of these 70 weeks are going to bring. An end of sin, a a reconciliation of iniquity. There's going to be the anointing of the most holy. But after 69 weeks, the Messiah is going to be rejected and cut off, but not for himself. So there, there is a... There's an event that happens in the Bible. It's really remarkable. It's remarkable how the Holy Spirit moves upon his people to fulfill his word. Daniel lived or passed away approximately 50 years before the life of Nehemiah. So they were not contemporaries. Nehemiah would come later. But if you remember, Nehemiah was one of the people that was in exile. And while he is serving in exile, he's serving under a king named Artaxerxes. And while he is there, he is the cupbearer to Artaxerxes. And one particular day, there are some Jewish people that have had the ability to travel. They went to Jerusalem. And they come back and they have an encounter with Nehemiah. And these these men, Nehemiah says, tell me about the city. How is Jerusalem? Because they loved Jerusalem. And the men said that Jerusalem is ruined. It's, it's in ruins. It's rubble. Its gates are burned. It's an absolute disaster. Now, these men saw that, but they had very little compassion. They had very little desire to do anything about it. But when they told that to Nehemiah, he became sick. And his countenance was sick. And he was concerned about that because he would go in front of the king. And he would serve the king. And if he went in with a depressed countenance, the king could punish him or even kill him. So he was worried about it. But God had moved on Nehemiah's heart. Because God has a prophecy to fulfill that dated even 50 years earlier during the days of Daniel. And this is the moment of fulfillment for the command to rebuild the city. And on that particular day, and Nehemiah gives the exact day, he goes before Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes says, why are you sad? And and Nehemiah said a quick prayer. And he said to the king, and he said, how can I be happy when my city is in ruin? And in that exchange, Artaxerxes' heart was touched. And he wrote a command giving permission to Nehemiah to go back home and begin the rebuilding of that city. What's so marvelous is if you count the 483 years from the moment of that declaration or proclamation from the king. And you go forward 483 years, you will come to the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem four days before his crucifixion. He will come into Jerusalem. He will show himself as the king and the children of Israel will reject him and they will cut him off. Now, some people would suppose that there is no breaking between the 483 years and the last seven years or the 69 weeks and the 70th week. Some people would suppose there's absolutely no break there. And had if the Romans would have come into Jerusalem 
within the span of seven years between Jesus being crucified and the next seven years, had the Romans come back into Jerusalem and destroyed the city, then we might have to concede that indeed the 490 years happened simultaneously. But according to Daniel's prophecy, there are events that are going to happen between the 69th week and the 70th week. And those events are a people are going to come to Jerusalem and destroy the city that Nehemiah rebuilt. They're going to wipe it out and the sanctuary. And those people were the Romans and they were led by Titus, the Roman, the Roman general who came into Jerusalem and absolutely destroyed the city. This was about 38 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So it, it did not happen within the span of seven years. And so we have these events going on. And we also know that the last seven weeks pertains primarily to the prince, which is the Antichrist. So this regards the nation of Israel. It does not regard the church. These are 70 weeks that are determined for Israel. And therefore, the last seven weeks are going to deal with the prince that is coming, who is Antichrist, and the nation of Israel. And, at, and, and in that seven years, there is going to be, in the very middle of it, there is going to be an event where the prince or the Antichrist stops the worship of God in the temple. He defiles it. Daniel calls this the abomination of desolation. John, in his revelation, also refers to this event, the desolation of what the Antichrist does. And he goes into the temple of God, proclaims himself to be God, puts away the worship and the sacrifices of God. And the last three and a half years, the world is inundated with iniquity and sin like never before until the consummation. You just read it. Until the consummation, which is the completion of the 70 weeks, that last seven years is fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns to earth, sets up his throne in Jerusalem and reigns forever and ever consummated, anointed is the most holy one. And the 70 weeks are finished. Now that's the breakdown of Daniel's prophecy. I encourage you to study this more. It's fascinating. Daniel is fascinating. And what God gave him is absolutely incredible and compelling in so many ways. So I pray that you will look into this. But i got to move on. I want to touch on this, the, the events that are coming upon the earth. And I give them to you in their particular order of what is going to come. And we're going to come back to this and we're going to look at it over the next few weeks um, in detail. So the next event that is going to happen in the earth is the rapture of the church. And people, if you understand and you, you look in your Bibles to the book of Titus chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, um, we understand that we're taking this word rapture that has been given to us and used so widely as, as just this event that's going to take place. We know it's not in the Bible, neither is the word Trinity. 
But the, 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 the definition of the word is because it means to be caught up. So if you don't like the word rapture and you get hung up on that because it's not in the Bible, then I will say to you, the next event on God's calendar is the catching up of the saints. We're going to be caught up. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. The church is going to be removed from the earth. And then we are going to enter in to the last week of the 70 weeks. The last seven years that are appointed to the people of Israel, better known for us as the tribulation period. And you can, we're going to go through this in in somewhat of detail a little bit today, but we'll talk about the tribulation period more because we're going to do a study through the book of Revelation. And we're going to compare a lot of that with the book of Daniel. We won't do all of that today. But I just want you to know what's coming because I believe it's going to be incredible. We're living in a day today where the world is greatly desiring Antichrist. The world is greatly desiring a world leader. And the world is greatly, uh, even world leaders are moving towards this global unity, this, this one world union or nation. And we know the Bible prophesies that. We know that men are increasing in their sin, iniquity, and wickedness. And the hearts of men are growing cold and and wretched and and just given over to sin. Even according to Romans chapter 1, that they'll reach a point where God will give them up. It's called a reprobate mind. And so in the tribulation period, it is, it is probably going to be more than ever before in the history of mankind, a world that has been totally reprobate. There is no restraint. Humanity will be unrestrained. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, there's, there's nothing more fearful or horrible than unrestrained humanity. The Bible says that out of the heart of man come inventions. Out of the heart of man comes murder and, 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 and destruction and war and theft and brutality. That comes out of the heart. We blame a lot on Satan and his kingdom that I believe a, 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 probably a good bit of it originated from us. Satan has three arrows in his quiver. That's, that's all he's got. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But I believe when Satan and demons began to fool around with men, they saw things in the heart of men they probably never thought about. That the, it's in the heart of man, these inventions and this murder. And man has been cruel throughout history. The way men treat men, even abortion. I mean, just the tearing apart of a baby in his mother's womb is absolutely horrific. And so many people in our world have no problem with that. Just no problem with it at all. If we, fought, if we found some type of microbe on Mars, we would celebrate that as life. And yet we can destroy life in a mother's womb. And the heart of men rages. Very few people even rise up to fight that type of atrocity that is going on. The Spanish Inquisition, Hitler, Stalin, Mao of China, and all these things that have checkered our history as humanity has been horrible. In that seven-year time All of mankind will be unrestrained. The animal world will be without restraint. The Bible talks about the animals from the wild coming into the cities and devouring the people. Nature is without restraint. Creation is groaning 
in Romans chapter 8 for its deliverance. And it's like the birth pains of a woman. And so what we see happening in our world today, it is not the result of human engineering. It's not the result of human technology. It is not the result of, of modern advancements and, and, and production of oil and, and things of that nature that's ruining our planet. It is the fact that the earth is groaning and God has told us that like the birth pains of a woman, these groanings are going to increase and increase and increase with great devastation and havoc upon the earth. And there's going to be earthquakes and divers places and pestilences and calamities that are in the world. Lightning and thunder and oceans turned to blood. Earthquakes, as I mentioned. World going into darkness and men gnawing their tongues because of the pain that they're living in. This is going to come to its climax in the last seven years, which is the tribulation period. Which this world could enter into very soon. Very, very soon. And... and our world for the first time is actually set up to see the fulfillment of, of John's prophecies. And prior to these recent days, our world really couldn't do that. I mean, just about maybe 20 years ago, the whole world couldn't particularly see one event at the same time. But today, you can go live anywhere in the world and everybody can jump on that and watch it. The spiritual kingdom is going to be unrestrained. There are going to be literally numbers of demons that are released from prisons. They're being held in, reserved specifically to be released during the tribulation period. And taunt and, and torment men upon the face of the earth. And so let's jump into this for just a little bit in the tribulation period. I want to divide it up into four parts. And the first part that I want us to look at in regards to the tribulation are the, are the judgments. Now, we're going to study the book of Revelation. And I want you to understand, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to study. It's not the book of Revelations, like plural, like all these events. It's revelation singular of one person, Jesus Christ. And we're going to study that in, in, in its fullness but right now we're going to study an aspect that is found in this book. And we're going to look at the judgments that are going to come. And they're broken up into three parts. There's the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. And so the seal judgments begin in Revelation chapter 6. And I'm not going to go into the scriptures today. I'm just going to describe what these judgments look like in the earth. There is a scene in heaven, John sees it, and there is a moment where there is, the, there is a book in the hand of God on the throne. And that book is sealed with many seals. And there is a cry in heaven, John hears, who's worthy to take that book and to open the seals? And nobody moved. And John wept because no one was found worthy until someone approached John and he says, there is one that's worthy. And that is the Lamb of God. And Jesus went and he took the book out of the hand of God and he began to open the seals. It's not like a book like this. It was actually a scroll. And each section of the scroll was sealed. So when Jesus broke the first seal, it, it rolled out the first part of judgment. 
And at the end of that seal, they would open up another seal and it would reveal more judgment. And then it would roll out and it's getting longer and there would be another seal and it would reveal that particular judgment. You follow me? And so this, this is what Jesus is opening up. And there is judgment on the earth and it comes directly from God. This is God's judgment upon a reprobate people who have rejected him and want nothing to do with him. The church is not on the earth at this time. The people of God are in, re- in reference to Israel, who is also known as God's elect and also his saints in many particular passages. Because the word saint means those that are set apart, those that are holy to God. Doesn't mean they're perfect, means they're holy to God. And Israel is holy to God. It is his specific and particular people. And so when the seals begin to break, it, it all immediately unfolds with the arrival of the Antichrist. He is revealed. And I'm just giving you just from Revelation 6, just factual things from the word of God. The Antichrist comes riding on a white horse. He's coming with the pretense of peace. Throughout the world, he is given a crown, which indicates that he is given the authority to rule in the earth. And the Antichrist will exercise great authority. The book of Revelation confirms this, particularly in chapter 13. He holds a bow, which shows his true intentions. Though I'm coming with a proclamation of peace, I am coming to make war. And the Antichrist does come and he makes war, which is the second part of this seal. The second seal is that great war breaks out upon the earth. Nations begin to fight, which causes famine in the earth, which is the third seal. And the result of famine is the fourth seal, which is death and hell following close behind the wars and the famines. So it's a devastation upon the earth. This is how great it is. Never, never in our history this type of devastation. We've, we're all familiar with the fact that we've had world wars, but not like this. One-fourth of the earth's population will be killed by this, this opening seals. One-fourth will be killed by sword, famine, plague, and the wild beast of the earth. The fifth seal opens up and it is found that there are the martyrs who died for their faith in Christ during the tribulation. There will be people during the tribulation period who hear the gospel and give their their hearts to Jesus Christ and they are saved, but they will die during the tribulation period. And then the seventh seal is open. And the Lamb of God opens the seventh seal. And when he opens the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. That just represents the absolute solemnness of what these final judgments are going to be. And when he opens the seventh seal in heaven, when they see what is unfolding, they're breathless. There's, they have nothing, nothing at all to say. They're just speechless. I want to look at this with you. It's in Revelation chapter 8. This, this is marvelous um, things. Now, I love to be biblically accurate. I love to stay in the word. And one thing you're going to find out about me is I take the Bible literally. 
I take it literally. I believe what it says and I hold to that. But I want you to know something too. I also love to think about it. I also love to think about the future. I love to think about the end times. I like to think about the what ifs. What could this be? What could that be? And I I love to think about all of that, but I can't speak with authority that that's exactly what those things are, right? But I love to surmise about it and just contemplate it. I might get into that a little bit with you in just a moment. But um, I I do want to speak with authority by reading the word. And he says in chapter 8, verse 13, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. By reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. And the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. I take this literally. I don't, I, 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 I. It could be symbolic, but I take it literally. So I believe there is going to be this star that falls from heaven. And there is, and and it's obviously a hymn. And stars are oftentimes represented as types of angelic beings. And so this star that falls to earth is going to have a key. And he's going to open the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. So I believe that there's going to be, when he opens the pit, this great smoke that's going to fill the earth. It's going to darken the earth, the sun, the air. And there came out of the smoke locust upon the earth. But they're different. Because they were given powers as, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, which is unnatural for locusts. And they're coming out of the bottomless pit. Neither any green thing, neither any tree. They're only to hurt those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And which is the 144,000, which are Jews. And to them, it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he strikes a man. So whatever comes out of this bottomless pit, these locust type things... They're not going to go and devour the earth. They're going to go and torment men for, my, for five months. Imagine that. In those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. And shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. That kind of reminds me of the zombies. You know, that's my surmising. But I don't think I'm far off. Because Satan knows what's coming. And Satan loves to bring about his own unique evangelistic persuasion of what's coming. He has indoctrinated our culture on aliens, AIs, zombieism, the occult. Because he's preparing a world for what's coming. And so, I mean, 
All I can see in verse 6 is something's coming out of the bottomless pit because a star with a key is going to let them out. They're going to go through the earth and torment men with the torment of a scorpion for five months. It's going to be so horrifically painful and I would also believe frightening that not only are men going to want to die, they're going to try to kill themselves and they can't. That reminds me of zombies. They're tormented. They're suffering. They want to die. They can't die. Now, he goes back to the locust, which seems alienistic in itself. The shapes of the locust were like to horses prepared to battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And I know, I know people like to say with authority, this is modern day warcraft. Perhaps. But modern day warcraft does not come out of the pit or the bottomless pit. It comes out of the, the factories and the manufacturing of men and nations. They had hair as the hair of women. I don't know helicopters and jets and stuff like that that has that. Their teeth were as the teeth of lions. They had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. They had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. They had a king over them. Who is this king? It's not Putin. It's not the king of China. The king over them is the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is Abaddon in Hebrew and Apollyon in Greek. But his name means destroyer. And so one woe is past. Behold, the other two woes come after. And the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet. Here's another demonic. Release on the earth. Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. So these are demons. That are being held captive right now under this river. And the four angels were loosed. Which were prepared for an hour, a day, and a month, and a year. And they are released on the earth from underneath the Euphrates River, and they're going to kill one-third of the men on earth. One quarter of the earth's population has already been killed in the war that Antichrist started. Now another third of humanity is going to be killed by these demons. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000. That's a lot of demons. And I heard the number of them... And thus I saw the horses and the vision and them that sat on them. And they had breastplates of fire, of jason, brimstone. And the heads of the horses were heads of lions. And out of the mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. And by, by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, by the smoke, by the brimstone which issued out of their mouth. And their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads and with them they do hurt. And this is amazing. Verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands. 
that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass, stone and wood, which neither can see or hear or walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And so this is just one chapter. This is just a small segment of, of, of an event that is going to take place during the tribulation period. And, and it's a fascinating chapter. If you take the Bible literally, then just try to imagine what, 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 is going, what, what the world is going to experience in that moment when this star falls from heaven, has a key, and it could be the impact of that star just hitting the earth and has a key, opens the bottomless pit, and out of the bottomless pit come these locust-like creatures that have the power to torment men. They have distinct features that are almost in some aspects human-looking. And they're going to torment men. And then there's going to be another event where four angels are going to be released, or demons released from their prison. And they're going to go through the earth with 200 or however many millions of, of warriors they've got to kill a third of the people on the earth. And they come out of the bottomless pit. Now we might suggest that this again is contemporary and modern type war machines that John did not know how to describe in his day. But he didn't describe them as machines. He could have said these are machines that look like this or look like that. But he didn't describe them as machines. He described them with a lot of human-like characteristics and animal-like characteristics and told us where they originated from and why they were there in the beginning in the first place. And imagine people on the earth as we are being cultured and evangelized by Satan in our world to accept this kind of stuff and, and growing, growing. I mean, major news stations now featuring uh, Top primetime spots on UFOs and aliens and things of that nature. Conditioning our world. Because if we take this literally and you've got these massive amounts of demons and beings that begin to become visible on the earth and go around the earth and torment men. And men want to die, but they can't die. They're, they're literally trying to kill themselves, but they can't die. Then... We're looking at a world that even our greatest sci-fi uh, artists who create these types of movies cannot even compare to what is coming. I'm going to have to stop here. But I, I want you to understand what's so sad. What, the greatest horror of all. Don't focus upon these beings that are coming. The greatest horror of all. Men. Refuse to repent. They refuse to give up their sin. Just like some of us in this room right now. I told you that the catching away could occur at any moment. I told you that very soon this world could be entering into its tribulation period. And some of you are far from God. You have no relationship with God. And you are given an opportunity to escape all of the hell that's coming. But we refuse to repent. Don't be that. God extends to you salvation and grace and love and mercy and an escape.
from the horrors that are coming on this world. I want to pray for you right now and then we'll close. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would have mercy upon our souls. Because Lord, we who know you, we know it does not give you pleasure to judge men. It does not give you pleasure to pour wrath out upon those, God, that are far from you. You would much rather give mercy, but men refuse to repent. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who's not right with you, who doesn't know you, whose heart is cold and callous towards you, God, very religious, even confesses they believe in Jesus, but they have no relationship. Lord, wake them up before it's too late. Wake them up, God. Stir their hearts to give their faith and their life to you, Jesus. Let them give up their idols. And Lord, let them embrace you as the one true God, their God, their Lord. I pray you bless this time. I pray, God, that when we hear these things, we read and study these things. Lord, if it doesn't make us more evangelistic, I confess something's wrong with me. Father, help me to bring as many people to you as I can so they won't have to experience this.